This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Quick reminder before we go to this week's episode that Intelligence Squared's award-winning series, How I Found My Voice, is back for season three. Featuring the world's greatest artists and cultural figures, host Samira Ahmed goes behind the fame to understand what shapes and inspires their voice. This season features the likes of Oscar award-winning actor Kate Winslet speaking about her life and career and whether there was room on that raft for Leonardo DiCaprio in the film Titanic and an upcoming episode with author of The Testaments and The Handmaid's Tale, Margaret Atwood. Discover what you've never known about some of the world's leading actors, writers and cultural figures by searching for How I Found My Voice on Apple, Spotify, Acast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello podcast listeners, I'm Connor and welcome to this week's episode of Intelligence Squared. Today we have a very special debate for you titled Big Tech Was Right to Deplatform Trump. It's been an explosive issue in the media over the last two months since Facebook, Twitter, Reddit and other big tech platforms have removed Donald Trump in response to his incitement for a mob to storm Capitol Hill on January 6th. So we assembled some brilliant, fascinating speakers to debate whether this was the right decision and what precedent it sets for the future. We hope you enjoyed and it was chaired by Manveen Rana, the senior investigative journalist at The Times and Sunday Times and host of the excellent podcast Stories of Our Times. So now let's go to the episode. Hello and welcome to this Intelligent Squared Plus debate with me, Manveen Rana. Before we get started, I'm going to ask the audience to submit your pre-vote intentions just to get a sense of where opinions lie before we begin. So please vote now for or against the motion Big Tech was right to deplatform Trump via the poll that should be appearing on your screen. If you're unsure, just vote undecided. Now, tonight's debate couldn't be more timely. Shortly after a pro-Trump mob stormed the Capitol on January the 6th, Big Tech unplugged the president. For years, he'd been using social media to communicate directly with his supporters, even on the day as lawmakers in the Capitol scurried to find places of safety during the siege, Trump posted, Stop the Steal, and proclaimed, You will never take back our country with weakness. Then came the crackdown. Reddit removed the Donald Trump subreddit. YouTube tightened its policy on posting videos that called the outcome of the election into doubt. TikTok took down posts with hashtags like, Storm the Capitol. Facebook suspended Trump's account indefinitely, and Twitter, the former president's favoured form of communication, took his account away permanently. So did big tech make the right decision? And was this censorship or accountability? That's what we'll be debating tonight. 
But first, I can tell you that as things stand, the motion is carried with 54% of votes for, 24 against and 22 undecided. So let's wait and see where, how that changes during the course of the night. But to begin with, I'm very, very pleased to be able to introduce our first speaker for the motion, Dr. Shola Moss Shogbamimo. She's a political and women's rights activist and the founder of Women in Leadership at the publication. She's also the author of a new book, This Is Why I Resist, Don't Define My Black Identity. Uh, I'm delighted to be inviting Shola to take the floor. Hello, everybody. Let me first of all start by putting this forward. That to suggest that it was wrong to deplatform Trump is preposterous. Why? If we can agree that anybody, anybody who has extremist views, who has the power and influence to to transform those extremist views into incite, into aggravating, into instigating, into motivating bigotry, hatred, that would affect the liberty and life of other people should be deplatformed, then surely this is a moot point that we're discussing. Big tech was right to deplatform Donald Trump. Now, let me start with this. When Donald Trump, I'm going to use Twitter as an example, when Donald Trump joined Twitter, he joined and signed up to the same terms and conditions that you and I did. He wasn't president of the United States at the time. Now, when he became United, the United States president, that came with privileges for him on social media, one of which was that his following shot up to 88 million and that social media companies turned a blind eye to his deliberate disinformation campaign, to his divisive rhetoric, his use of bigoted, hateful language to cause division. That was one of his privileges. He knew it and he maximized it because as far as he was concerned, as president, nobody could touch him. So when people argue now that he's been deplatformed, I want to remind them with this, that it wasn't until the fourth year of his presidency that social media companies started to censure him. It didn't happen overnight, right? Twitter, for example, started to put links to his tweets to give people, to tell people that what he's stating is disputed and to give them the source to be able to get accurate information. That any one of us would think, mm, that is a lesson. That is, that is something telling us we need to behave, but not Donald Trump. You have to remember that Donald Trump's use of his Twitter account during his presidency was not in his capacity as Joe Bloggs from down the road or Jane Doe over the corner, but it was in his capacity as president of the United States and he abused the integrity of that office. But that is not why he was deplatformed, even though that is what is causing a lot of people to question why he was deplatformed. That makes no sense to me. No president is above the law. He can't have different things applied to him. I think we must have this understanding, this distinction, that being president of the United States does not give him rights. It gave him privileges and privileges can be taken away, especially when those privileges are used to incite domestic terrorism as he did on the 6th of January when his Trump supporting mob invaded the Capitol building. Donald Trump's presence on social media should not be toxic. 
and neither should ours. That's the whole point of rule of law. That's the whole point of democracy, right? Now, today you might hear some arguments that suggest, well, Big Tech was acting like an arbitrary power drunk dictator in the platform in the platforming Trump. I say that's wrong. There was cause and causation. And he clearly breached their terms and conditions. You might also hear arguments that, well, other world leaders have posted nefarious content. Why weren't they the platform? Excuse me, are you suggesting that because other, um, other world leaders have done something wrong? Donald Trump, who is more powerful, who is more influential, should not be deplatformed? I have no problem with Donald Trump being the first one to be deplatformed. And if that's going to set the right precedent so that other world leaders know that there is a certain level of decorum that is expected, that must be commensurate to the public office held, then I have no problem with that. They should be on notice. You might also hear arguments today that deplatforming Donald Trump is a threat to freedom of speech. Utter nonsense. Freedom of speech comes with accountability. Freedom of speech comes with responsibility. And the liberty to exercise that freedom of speech comes at a cost. We can't expect people like world leaders to do exactly what you and I are not allowed to do. That makes no sense whatsoever. By all means, let's have a discussion about regulating social media platforms. Yes, let's even have a, a whole conversation about the failure of social media companies to create healthy or navigate healthy conversations on social media. Heck yes. But it was right for social media platforms, a little too late, but right for them to ban Donald Trump, given the fact that he incited that you know, he incited the mob to storm the building. And he was clearly also trying to overtake, overturn a fair and legitimate election, democratic election. Where are you going to draw the line? We have to draw the line somewhere. I have absolutely no qualms about the fact that a world leader like Donald Trump was held accountable for his actions and his words. Because we have to think about the fact that we must continually send a message, a strong message of what kind of society we expect to live in. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, like any other provider of service, must do the right thing. Like any other employer of labor must do the right thing. Are you telling me that if you and I had behaved the way Donald Trump did in our place of employment, we would not be fired or censured? Are you telling me that suppliers, those providers of services, who, who in any way allowed that kind of behavior that Donald Trump did, would they not have been canceled like people like to use? Or would they not have been an outrage? So let me finish up with this. We cannot try to hold social media companies to account about how they allowed Russia to infiltrate democratic elections in the U.S. or Russia to infiltrate the Brexit elections here in the United Kingdom and so many other examples, and then tell them that they are wrong to deplatform Donald Trump. That's a contradiction in terms. Thank you. Thank you, Shola. And our first speaker against the motion tonight is Nadine Strossen. She's an American civil liberties activist who was president of the American Civil Liberties Union from February 1991 to October 2008. 
She was the first woman and the youngest person ever to lead the ACLU. And rather aptly, she's written a book entitled Hate, Why We Should Resist It with Free Speech, Not Censorship. Welcome, Nadine. Thank you so much, Manveen, and it's a delight to be uh, making another appearance on this wonderful platform with such esteemed co-panelists. Now, of course, big tech had the legal right to deplatform Trump, but the question is whether they were right to do so. And the right answer to that question is no, no matter how well intended this move might have been. When you consider its overall impact, it is bad for all of us individuals and also for democracy. Yes, Donald Trump was a threat to free speech and democracy, and he may well continue to be. But Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey pose even bigger threats. After all, Trump's power was subject to both constitutional and political checks. But the tech titans wield monopolistic power over both the economic marketplace and the marketplace of ideas without any such checks. I'm going to quote one key expert who decried what he called the dangerous precedent of the Trump deplatforming decision involving the unchecked power of an individual or corporation over the global public conversation. As he explained, quote, the check on platform's power had been that a specific service like Twitter is one small part of the larger public conversation happening across the internet. But this concept was challenged when some foundational internet tool providers also decided not to host what they found dangerous. This critic also noted yet another anti-democratic impact of these deplatforming actions, namely, they fuel polarization. Quote, they fragment the public conversation. They divide us. They limit the potential for clarification, redemption, and learning. Who is this expert critic of the Trump deplatforming, whom I've been quoting? None other than Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. And critiques have also come from experts all across the political and ideological spectrum. For example, here's what my organization, the ACLU, said. We understand the desire to suspend Trump, but it should concern everyone when these companies wield the unchecked power to remove people from platforms that have become indispensable for the speech of billions. President Trump can turn to his press team or Fox News to communicate with the public, but others will not have that luxury, including many black, brown, and LGBTQ activists who have been censored by social media companies. Similar points were made by UCLA law professor Eugene Volokh, who is a prominent libertarian. He said, even ardent champions of capitalism should accept that all power can be dangerous, including corporate power. There will now be pressure on platforms to suppress other speech, such as fiery rhetoric against police or against oil companies. He went on to say, Mr. Trump's suspension may have been motivated by the platform's sincere desire to protect democracy, 
but other politicians might be suspended because their policies are bad for corporate profits or contrary to the owner's political views. Sometimes just the risk of suspension will pressure politicians to avoid taking positions a company dislikes. Now, ironically, the liberals and progressives who have cheered big tax silencing of Trump also tend to be strong critics of the United States Supreme Court's decision in the Citizens United case, because that case held that corporations may spend their money to advance their own speech and ideas. Critics complain that this gave these corporations undue influence over elections and officials. But the tech giants are now spending their money to suppress other people's speech and ideas, to suppress these other people's speech and ideas, including precisely speech about elections and by officials. Surely that is a far graver threat to democracy. And one with worldwide implications. That's why Trump's deplatforming was critiqued by leaders of other democracies, including German Chancellor Angela Merkel, and also by the courageous Russian dissident Alexei Navalny. As he said, this precedent will be exploited by the enemies of free speech around the world, including in Russia. Every time they need to silence someone, they will say, this is just common practice. Even Trump got blocked on Twitter. Trump's deplatforming endangers free speech for all the rest of us, not only through its presidential impact, but also directly. As the U.S. Supreme Court has recognized, freedom of speech entails the right to receive information and ideas, as well as to convey them. In our democracy, where we the people, to quote the opening words of the U.S. Constitution, we the people wield sovereign power, it's essential that we hear from officials precisely so we can hold them accountable, including so we can refute and critique their ideas and vote against them. In my closing moments, I will make just one more point, which is that surveys indicate that a significant factor in Trump's election loss was precisely his incendiary tweets, which moved many prior supporters to vote against him. So especially those who oppose Trump's policies, certainly including yours truly, have a reason to vote no on this motion. Thank you. Thanks, Nadine, for a very fiery speech. We've got off to a, a, a very fiery start. We've got two more speakers to go, but just a quick reminder that if you do have questions, do send them in now by clicking on the Ask Question button under the video screen. Type in your question, and if you want us to read out your name, please do include that too, and then just press send. We'll try to cover as many as possible. Now, our final speaker for the motion tonight is James Bosworth. He's the author of the Latin America Risk Report newsletter and the founder of Hexagon, a consulting firm that provides political risk analysis and bespoke investigations in emerging markets. He recently wrote in the Financial Times that the deplatforming of all despots should now be considered. Welcome, James. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation to be here. I, I really appreciated uh, Shola's intro there. Uh, I think she, she set that up very well uh, in, terms, in terms of the, the case. Uh, I also appreciated Nadine's points. I, I really think that, that Nadine and I aren't that far apart on, on this issue, but I am in favor of tech deplatforming Trump. And, and like, let me give you three reasons. Uh, the first was actually it was listed off by Nadine. It is the fact that Donald Trump is one of the least censored people in the entire world. Uh, just 
yesterday, Donald Trump released a statement about his opinions on Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader. And in the last 24 hours, his statement on Twitter has gotten more retweets and likes than I have in my entire 11 years on the platform. For somebody who has been deplatformed from Twitter, uh, that's an amazing statement. You know, he, he, his, his speech is not currently being censored. He can eat very easily, if he were to announce that one hour from now he will give a press conference, there would be over a dozen cameras pointed there, and everything he said would be disassembled by the newspapers and the cable news pro- programs. Second, uh, from a free speech point of view, his free speech stops where other people's free speech begins. I write an email newsletter for, for a living, and there's nothing that says that I need to put Donald Trump's views on, on my email newsletter. If Donald Trump insisted that his views go verbatim on the front page of the ACLU website, I'm pretty sure the ACLU would sue over that. Uh, he, even though he has a right to free speech, he does not have a right to publish his free speech anywhere. And that's a critical a- uh, aspect to this free speech issue. The final issue, though, is that this isn't a free speech issue. Donald Trump, when he was deplatformed, he was not deplatformed because he was debating tax policy. He was not deplatformed because he has views on abortion or climate change that people disagree with. Donald Trump was deplatformed because he was in the process of committing a crime. And that's, a, that's an important aspect to this. If you go on Twitter or Facebook or Telegram or pick your social media platform and you decide that you are going to, say, traffic drugs and you want to organize a drug trafficking, drug trafficking operation, uh, you can't do that. You can't post child pornography. That's a crime. Uh, you're not allowed to say, if I write something in my newsletter, you're not allowed to make a threat against me. You can't say, I'm going to kidnap and kill James Bosworth for what he wrote today. If the head of ISIS were on Twitter and were to write, hey, I think that we should go bomb X or we should go send pe- or I, I encourage all of my followers to go stab people on a bridge in London, they would be deplatformed for very good reasons. And when Donald Trump incited his followers to riot and incited them to go to the Capitol building and five people died, that wasn't an act of speech. It wasn't political speech that he was making. Uh, that was a, 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 it was a commission of a crime. It was in the organization of a crime. Um, he was not deplatformed for his points of view. He was deplatformed for committing a crime. And I think that's a very important aspect to this. Ultimately, this is not a free speech issue for him. Um, this, is, this is how he was acting. And there is a legal liability and a moral responsibility that tech platforms have to prevent the commissions of crimes, particularly those that cause violence against people around the world. So uh, I did write the Financial Times of it on, on the fact that this sets a precedent for other uh, world leaders to be deplatformed, and I do think that that's going to happen. Right after I wrote that op-ed, you saw that the National Assembly in Venezuela that is not recognized by most of the EU nor the U.S. government did get deplatformed. Several terrorist organizations have been deplatformed since. They, they are in the process of going against people who are being deplatformed because they are committing crimes against democracy, crimes against human rights, or they are in the commission of, of some other violent crime that causes damage in the real world. And taking care of preventing violence in the real world uh, is more important in many ways than dealing with the fact that somebody may feel censored. People can debate their political views all they want, but as soon as they get into the incitement of violence, that's no longer a freedom of speech issue. Uh, So thank you very much. Thanks, James.
Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared and to create each one we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes there's also a producer, a production team and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see. No hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-the-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. Our final speaker against the motion tonight is Freddie Sayers. He's the executive editor of the online news outlet Unheard, where he presents the online video programme and podcast Lockdown TV. He was the founder and CEO of Politics Home and former editor-in-chief of YouGov. Freddie. Thank you, uh, Mambeen, uh, and thanks to all the excellent speakers for such good ideas. I guess I want to take advantage of my uh, position here as the last speaker to try to position this whole controversy in a bit of a broader context. I'm genuinely frightened by the political situation at the moment. I think this past year has probably been the politically the most frightening year of my whole life. It feels not just like politics as normal, it feels like the whole foundations of our liberal way of life are suddenly up for grabs. And right now, The Trump era has barely been gone a month, but suddenly it's starting to feel like the biggest threat to liberalism comes not from the Proud Boys or from Donald Trump, but from a progressive establishment that is reasserting itself alongside its enforcement arm, big tech. So I used the L word there, liberal, and that's a famously annoying word that means all sorts of different things. So let me try and define it quickly. I'm not talking about liberalism in the contemporary American sense of left-leaning, and nor am I actually talking about so-called classical liberalism in the way that conservatives tend to use it to mean economic freedom and, and limited government. I mean the whole ground on which our political argument takes place, left and right. The, the way of organizing our society that grew out of the Enlightenment, in which basically we try to balance competing interests and worldviews instead of letting one rule them all. It's a way of holding off a world in which the strongest rule 
and everyone else then lives in a tyranny. So that's the achievement of liberalism. Some might call it the greatest achievement of humankind. And it's a framework that should be stronger than any one power within it. One great example, of course, is the American Constitution, with its very meticulous distribution of powers, a classic product of Enlightenment thinking. But it also involves a commitment to institutions, to pluralism, to protection of minorities, an instinct to curtail powers before they become too great. It's a really delicate balance that at its best should bring about civility and tolerance for dissent. So this isn't a matter of left or right. Until very recently, both sides of the political aisle would have agreed to pretty much everything I've said, I think. At its heart is the principle of allowing people you don't like, even people you hate or fear, to exist, to speak, and to be part of the same society as you are. And it requires a certain confidence for it to work. So fast forward to 2021, what is terrifying me about this moment is that that whole confidence in our underlying liberal settlement seems to have disappeared. We suddenly find ourselves much, much closer to the brute application of winner-takes-all force. And that, to me, is what the decision to ban Donald Trump from social media is really about. Of course, progressives will say that that loss of confidence in the liberal settlement is the fault of Donald Trump. It was his chipping away at norms, his lack of respect for institutions, his despotic language, trying to defy the election result, all these things destroyed that confidence. But frankly, it's an argument for another day, whether it originated with him or not. The important thing is, it didn't succeed. Despite all that fear and all those columns we read about how he was going to overthrow the Constitution, Donald Trump received zero serious support from the judiciary, even from the Supreme Court that he had helped to fill. No Republican governor in key states attempted to fiddle the result or get their electors to send a different vote to the Electoral College. The violent mob we've heard about that stormed the Capitol consisted of a few hundred people, many of them performing for social media. So it was a serious event, and of course people died, but it looks, in retrospect, more like a policing failure than the summoning of an army to overthrow the federal government. I've got really good progressive friends in the US, and when I talk to them, I get the impression that they are pretty much traumatized. The past four years of, of daily terror has left them with something like PTSD. Well, they would like to be magnanimous in victory. In reality, they are defensive and insecure. And so it's understandable that they're tempted to use the power they now have, their friends and supporters in the media and big tech, to try to eviscerate Donald Trump, stamp his movement off the face of the earth. But by going down this path, they are, of course, granting the greatest corporate power in history, big tech, even more supragovernmental power than it had. But worse than this, they are unwittingly completing the destruction that they think Donald Trump started, undermining the framework of our liberal democracy and pushing us back towards a world where the powerful rule without regard for due process. This was naked censorship. It involved no law courts, no democratic vote. It's dangerous, and no true liberal should support it. It might feel good now if your team has got the upper hand, but the principle 
of censoring your opponents is going to come back to haunt you because next time it won't be your friends who control the media platforms, it will be your enemies. So be a good liberal, protect us all and oppose this motion. Thanks, Freddie. We've had four thought-provoking opening statements there. And now we'll turn to your questions. So um, we've got a lot of questions coming in already and we'll try to cover as many as we can. To begin with, for those in support of the motion, so to James and to Shola, is it right that big tech has the power to de-platform anyone, given that Twitter and Facebook are the modern digital equivalent of the public square? So Shola first. I touched on this when I first started my um, opening statement. I said, if we all agree that extremist views that can transform words into action, like Donald Trump did by inciting people to commit domestic terrorism, if we can all agree that that's bad and such behavior is unacceptable, then yes, if you and I do it, absolutely we should be deplatformed because that is not a difference of opinion. That is not us engaging in discourse. That is you actually, like you know, James said, committing a crime. And we should not support that. And can I just add, this was a point that my very learned colleagues, Nadine and Freddie, spoke to, which is, you know, it being a threat to our freedom of speech. I cannot believe we've got to, gotten to a day where Donald Trump is being used to defend our freedom of speech. That's not, that's not right. Accountability must hold responsibility must hold and he committed a crime which is why he was the platform not because he had a difference of opinion okay so people let me just finish off with this because james baldwin said it best he said we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression in the denial of my humanity and my right to exist and what donald trump did his actions his words that incited all of that um, mob-like you know, terrorism, what it did was rooted in other people's oppression. It was rooted in denying others um, their humanity. So those who were present there, five people died and so many numerous injuries. That is what he did. That is why it's right that he was deplatformed. Freddie, you had your hand up there. Did you want to well, come in? Well, I was, yeah, I was just going to say, um, both Shola and James have said this point that it was a crime. If it's a crime, it should be prosecuted in the law courts. These un- we do not want crimes being judged by Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey or any of these guys. So let's have that principle. If it's legal, it's allowed. If it's illegal, it should be prosecuted in the courts. But James, with all due respect, I-, I did touch on this point earlier where, where I said, uh, yes, by all means, let's have a conversation about the failure of social media companies to navigate healthy conversations whereby any kind of criminal language that is being used. But they did not act like courts. Neither did they act like an arbitrary power drunk dictator. What they did was not different from an employer. If you, Freddie, or I did what Donald Trump did in inciting that kind of behavior and conduct, we would be fired. And that is not for a court to decide. That's for an employer to decide. And that is right. Nadine, you've got your hand up. I think the question, I don't, with all due respect, I don't think we're quite answering the question. Wasn't the question, uh, do you agree that the big tech should have the power to, to censor all of us? 
right? It was yeah, getting beyond Donald Trump, and that and that is the the very issue that Jane, that Freddie and I were stressing that this is not a one off. Once they have censored the most clicked off their platform, the most powerful person in the world, they are constant and probably for political reasons. By the way, many analysts are saying that it's not a coincidence that they waited until his uh, loss was certified, until the Senate was clearly in Democratic hands. This is a power that has probably been wielded for political opportunism reasons, is going to be wielded again for business opportunism reasons. And those of us who are advocating for law reform, for minority rights, are never going to have the upper hand in that kind of lawless absence of due process approach. James, uh, going going back to this question of is it right for tech to be able to deplatform? You know, in your FT article, you said all despots should be. How do you ensure that it's not just the despots who are? Is this a terrifying power we're handing over to tech? We should be concerned about this, right? So let me address first off the the point that was made about um, crime should be dealt with in court. I I agree. And and I do think that that in the coming months, we're going to see Donald Trump uh, face both criminal and civil charges over the incitement of violence. At the time that the the crime was occurring, uh, we don't wait for the judge and the jury to decide on guilt before the police officers roll in and stop the crime from happening. Um, Stopping him in the process as five people were dying in the Capitol was a really important thing. We shouldn't rely on big tech companies to be these police forces, but we are in an awkward uh, position with with how Twitter and Facebook act. To the question of can big tech companies just de-platform anybody, um, first off, Facebook and Twitter are the easy questions in this. The answer is yes. And really, Facebook and Twitter don't matter that much. There are plenty of other places that people can publish online. They're the least important aspect of our technology infrastructure. I'm sure they don't want to hear that, but that's true. I do worry about AWS pulling the servers from Parler. I agreed with their decision. But when you look at what what actually forms the backbone of the internet, something like uh, preventing DDoS attacks or providing some of the basic web servers online, the DNS servers, if you go that far back, um, there are basic web infrastructure that we that we should have more regulation to. So should Trump be deplatformed from Twitter? Yes, absolutely. That That's the easy question in all this because he still has plenty of free speech rights. When you get to some of the backbone issues, you start to get in a, in a more difficult and more controversial area. And in that case, I think I do think that there needs to be some level of regulation and we should have more uh, a more careful understanding of areas where, where private sector and public sector things overlap because that backbone of the internet should be more of a public sector thing than can controlled completely by the private sector. I'm going to move on to uh, another question from the audience, and they are fantastically balanced. We had a a question for those who were proposing the motion a minute ago. Now we've got one for those who are opposing it. And the question asks, under what circumstances, if any, would it be correct to deplatform Trump? And Freddie, I'm going to go to you first. So I'm not a sort of free speech absolutist, and I know some people are, who would say that one should never censor things. You know, I think if if a threshold is reached where direct harm is imminent or where there is actually a clear crime taking place and that's certified in a law court, people should be censored. I think that that is reasonable. But I think it should be a very high bar and we should really make sure that it meets those conditions. And I do think uh, elected representatives, and in this case, the democratically elected president of the United States, still in office, the bar should, if anything, be even higher, because it's a kind of, it's a weird old world where Mark Zuckerberg 
decides over the president what he's allowed to say or not. So I, I do think there are scenarios, but they should be, we should be very, very vigilant and make sure that they are met. But for example, with, with January the 6th, when there was an imminent threat, when this did seem to be inciting violence, is it right to, to put a stop to that then? I mean, for, for example, you, you do a podcast, I do a podcast. We, we would both, in our, in our work, edit out things which were defamatory or things that people said which, you know, would, would lead to a lawsuit because the moment we publish them, we are responsible for those, for those actions. Is it not right for... for Online platforms to to follow similar rules. We need to have a legal process here. So the incitement to violence claim has not been proven in the court of law. At that point, you know, it's as you say in the media, we've had those things for decades. If if something that's going to be defamatory is going to be published in a newspaper, a judge can issue uh, an injunction, and it will not be published the next morning. It'd be very easy to set up similar legal systems so that if something was happening on social media, urgent action could be taken. But that didn't happen. What happened is the guys at Facebook decided two weeks before a Democratic administration was coming in, who they needed to suck up to, to take the president off. And that is not a legal process, and that's not a good precedent for any of us. But that's not really how publishing works at the moment, just to be fair, uh, just very very quickly to follow this up. I mean, um, if when we're, we end up doing an awful lot of self-censoring, you know, you wouldn't put out something which incited violence, not because the law's got involved, that gets involved later if you've accidentally put something out, you, you take that out yourself. Should there not be that responsibility somewhere in this system? I mean, I think you'd... You know, I suspect, who knows inside the mind of Donald Trump, and I would be a braver person than me to speculate what goes on in there. But for but the platform that's publishing it? I think, that, I think it needs to be a, a legal process. And, and it wasn't that individual tweets were temporarily removed pending a legal process or something. And maybe something like that should be allowed. But what happened was the whole account was taken down in perpetuity, and it was taken without any scrutiny. And this is a single tech overlord. I, I respectfully disagree. Show it very quickly. Um, I mean, first of all, Freddie says that it has to be a, it's, a high, it's coming back you to you, know, I like promise. Barrier, it's like high level. Quick word. I, I kind of find that you're contradicting yourself because I don't see a higher level or barrier than five people dying, police officers losing their lives and injuries happening. I don't see a higher barrier than that. And when you say we have to wait for the law courts, we don't wait for the law courts to fire people for behavior that under the law is unacceptable because inciting a crime is unacceptable. And there's nothing wrong in the way that it was done. And let's be clear here. You're suggesting, Freddie, that in that moment in time, the platform should have continued to be given to Donald Trump and so that he can continue to use his power and influence to drive the madness that was possessing his, his supporters. And you fail to recognize that the, that the social media companies like Twitter had actually they had put links on his tweets. They had, tried to, they had tried to educate him that certain things that he was putting out was wrong. And he did that for a long time. But he did not take notice until that 6th of January when the riots happened. And you're saying that they have no power whatsoever. They should have no power whatsoever when they can see what is happening right before them. That they should say nothing, do nothing, because he's the president of the United States. He doesn't have rights as a president of the United States. He has privileges, and privileges can be taken away. Just like it, it can be taken away from you, Freddie, or from me if we had done something similar. As president, he does not have rights that are more important than you, and, than, than, than you or me. 
He has privileges. Can he abuse them? I have I have two two basic points, although I disagree with a lot. But uh, number one is that there would have been, we are not saying they should have done absolutely nothing. We're saying they did too much. They imposed what the law considers a prior restraint, completely blocking not only the then president of the United States from saying anything about any subject, including anything peaceful, including anything condemning the violence, rather than selectively, after the fact, punishing particular or saying they were going to punish particular statements. They thereby were depriving the rest of us of the opportunity to hear that expression, which is very important. It's very important for the voters, including those who vote against him. It's very important for law enforcement, a lot of whom are saying it's much harder for them to do their job of protecting us against extremists when they are kicked off this major platform and they now law enforcement has to deploy its resources to hidden dark corners of the web where it's much harder to track down and also much harder to recruit away extremists. The other point I want to make, and Sholi, you're so brilliant, I know that you don't believe your own rhetoric when you say, well, violence happened, people got killed, therefore that proves that Trump insisted them. That is not a logical cause and effect. And sadly, that is exactly the same argument that is being made in a very important Supreme Court case where the ACLU is representing a leader, a major leader of Black Lives Matter, because a police officer uh, who was assaulted by somebody who participated in a BLM demonstration is blaming the fiery rhetoric of the Black Lives Matter leader for having instigated the violent assault against the police officer. And the ACLU is arguing there that that is not, you can't blame incitement. Uh, oh and my the U.S. God. Supreme no, no, Court ha- upheld that principle in a very important case involving the NAACP. No, I, I'm, so, I, I'm so, sorry, but Nadine just posed, she just posed a question. So let me just respond to what she posed to me, please, if I may. I, I am not speaking in rhetoric. I'm speaking in facts, right? And you have the biggest bipartisan uh, agreement in impeachment, U.S. impeachment history, that found that Donald Trump did incite that behavior. Anybody with eyes in their head or anyone who could understand what was happening knew that on that day he was inciting. And can I just say, can you please not use Black Lives Matter? to defend his behavior, because that's exactly what... Well, I'm telling you, exactly sorry, I'm Trump's telling you a fact, the power no, that you're advocating is, is being this, used against them right we are not now, talking about we you. We're not talking about what you did. We're not talking about what I did. We're looking at the totality of the circumstances. And there is no denying that the behavior, conduct, and words of Donald Trump on the 6th of January incited his supporters. He said, go to Capitol building. He said you have to take back power by force. He used all those words. And can I just correct you when you said nobody could hear from him? Because that's not true. Because even on the 6th of January, we did. he did tweet. He did tweet about how much they are patriots. He tweeted his video. We heard from him. So that's not correct in saying that he was totally banned from communicating on the day. I disagree, but I'm going to cede my time to the audience. Thank you. I'm just going to go to the next question from the audience. We, we, we are running out of time and I want to get as many of them as, in as possible. Harry Briggs, a tech investor, writes, in the UK, we've always had limits on m- media dominance. Isn't this situation just a symptom of the failure of regulators to limit the dominance of a few giant tech companies who now have a greater share of eyeballs than the entire newspaper industry? James, where do you stand on that? Is this a problem of regulation? No. 
I mean, there are aspects of regulation that I worry about. Like I said before, I worry about the backbone of the internet, the DNS system. I don't worry about Facebook and Twitter. Um, Facebook and Twitter are, are the current hot thing, and 10 years from now, there will probably be new competitors in the space. I mean, the, the, the answer is thing, things rotate up through pretty quickly. Um, and Facebook and Twitter, while they are dominant at the moment because people go to them because they have a wide audience, and that's caused by a network effect and things that, that draw them, make us all addicted to Twitter in some way. That occurs, but it's not necessarily, there's nothing that says that all of our public debate needs to take place on Twitter or needs to take place on Facebook. There are plenty of competitors to these organizations. The fact that, that they, and, and I'm, I worry about certain monopoly issues in technology. I don't worry about them as publishers. There are plenty of places to publish online. You can, uh, you can publish an email newsletter. You can put up a website. You can still put up a blog. Um, there's not like a restriction on people being able to publish online just because they can't publish on Twitter or Facebook. Freddie, I can tell you've got an opinion on this. I do. Yes, is the answer to Harry. Of course, these companies are over-dominant. It's not right to treat them as normal companies because they basically represent the public square, the, the marketplace at this point. You know, we've actually been the victim of some of this censorship unheard. And it's a terrifying experience because suddenly from one moment to the other, a post or a video or whatever is, is taken down. There is no recourse there's no means of appeal. It's all some, it's a faceless, huge tech monolith that you have no insight into. And it's terrifying. This is the nearest thing we have to a, a, a genuine tyranny in our modern world, I would say. These, these are huge, huge powers. And we need to be very aggressive about keeping them in place. Right now, Facebook has just announced its equivalent of a Supreme Court. It's, it's brought its own politicians that it chose from parties that it chose to populate this new uh, high court of Facebook that's going to decide what should be censored. What kind of world is this where a, a private company based out of California has its own Supreme Court that makes judgments on people in the UK or France or anywhere around the world? It has got out of hand, and of course it needs to be regulated. Uh, just one thing. I haven't logged into Facebook in a year. Nobody makes you use Facebook. Nobody makes anybody use Facebook. Um, the 2.5 idea... billion people do. They, they do, but they, 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 may, they, they, they choose to. They may not. And there's no reason that you have to get your information from Facebook, nor is there a reason that you, that you must be on that platform. Um, or must publish on that platform. There are plenty of options out there. It's an interesting question. Is it a monopoly or is it just a wildly successful business? Um, I'm going to move on to another question from the audience. This comes from Simon Worth, and it's uh, directly for James. And he asks, who decides who is a despot? So funny side story to this. Um, I... You don't, when you write an op-ed for a newspaper, you don't actually choose the title of your op-ed. Um, <laughs> and I actually looked back, and in 15 years of writing online with my blog and my newsletter and my Twitter account, I have never used the word despot. Um, it's not a word that I use. Is it the, a the sentiment I, you agreed the, with? No. Um, the, term I, the term I used when I wrote the op-ed, it should be in there, is the Trump line. Which leaders have crossed the Trump line? Which leaders have actually done something that is caught, that is threatened or caused violence in the real world? And I do think that there is a very that that it's it's not necessarily the same line in every country. 
uh, as it occurs, because every country has different circumstances as they occur. But there are leaders around the world who have sent their militaries into the legislature in order to, in order to threaten them. Uh, there are leaders in the world that have advocated for the genocide of other uh, of, of, of ethnic minorities. Um, leaders that cross that Trump line, I think, should be deplatformed. Or, you know, there's a warning process. There's a process that goes by it. I'm not saying it should happen with a snap of the finger like Thanos, um, but I do think that there is a that there is a process that should occur uh, for these leaders. I didn't choose the term despot nor dictator. Um, some of the leaders that are the most offensive online are leaders who were democratically elected, including Donald Trump. I, I, it's not necessarily a despot or not despot. It's leaders who actually incite violence online, in particular, that I was arguing for. We've got another question from the audience here, which is for the opposition. When you say that the legal system needs to get involved after the act occurs, if a terrorist organisation was recruiting people through social media to bomb a particular area, do we allow the bombing to occur and let so many people die before pursuing legal action? Freddie, that was that, that I guess goes to you. Yeah. I think it's really, it's very dangerous because what happens is you, you, people reach to these comparisons like terrorism or, or these kind of extreme scenarios, which, of course, should be interrupted. And they, anyone who is in a heated political fight starts making that argument. And who draws the line? And Schoeller actually said, who, where do we draw the line? If, if one act is decided by a, a tech company is akin to terrorism or crosses the line... What's to stop the next one and the next one? And we go down a slippery slope. So I think, you know, yes, I've said I'm not a free speech absolutist. There are scenarios where we do need to intervene. But the presumption should be that people are allowed to speak. And we should be more afraid because the risk is greater of going down the road of censoring people than allowing people to speak. I think Freddie is absolutely right, and that happens to be the law in the United States. Despite our vaunted speech protectiveness, the Supreme Court does allow and encourage government to punish speech, including in advance of threatened danger, but only if there is evidence that the speech is directly causing imminent serious danger. And the reason for that tight, the demanding, the tight and direct causal connection between the speech and the danger is precisely the greater danger of giving more discretion to government, which throughout history is always used disproportionately to silence minority groups, whether racial or ethnic or religious minorities or whether political dissidents. And as far as terrorism is concerned, we all know the old saying, one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. And I'm sorry it's a fact, Shola, but for a lot of people in this country, including law enforcement officials, Black Lives Matter is considered to be a terrorist organization. Just, uh, just picking... but those are the people who are looking to discredit Black Lives Matter. But you know what? You and I will have that conversation another day. Let's focus on what you and Freddie just said. You, you and Freddie have kind of contradicted yourselves, right? The question was about extreme um, behavior like terrorists do. And Freddie said, well, if it's extreme in those circumstances, I would say that Donald Trump's behavior was extreme for a president. And you said where it put pe puts people in imminent danger. Well, the way people dying and people getting injured, that put people in imminent danger, especially the politicians that were having to, to hide under the table. How can you not, in the totality of circumstances, Understand that you're contradicting yourself when you're trying to defend a certain behavior, but you want to use Donald Trump as a reason why, uh, as a reason why nobody should, why he should not be deplatformed. To me, that makes no sense. 
It makes no sense I'm whatsoever. It, I'm not. I'm so sorry. I'm not defending Donald Trump's behavior. I'm not defending his speech. I am defending should not a be principle that protects everybody. I'm going to interrupt you both. I'm so sorry, just because we are running out of time, and I really want to get one last question in. So... Um, I've got one last question from the audience, which is for the proposition uh, of, of this debate, saying, doesn't deplatforming anyone deprive us all from our right of receiving information and deciding for ourselves on its values and merits? James? If you have a hard time finding out where Donald Trump stands on an issue, there's a Wikipedia page for you and there's Google. There is zero reason that you should have any reason to think that, that you can't find out what Donald Trump thinks on something. He is, like I said before, he's one of the least censored people in the world. Shola, did you have anything to add? Oh my God. No, understand this. They, by deplatforming Trump, they were not deplatforming you. Freddie or you, Nadine, because you did not do what Donald Trump did, and you are not, I hope, ever going to do what he did and get to that kind of extreme conduct. We're not saying that what happened with Donald Trump is going to happen to us. If we do exactly what he did, then yes, we should be deplatformed. But that is not but about... Does it stop, what we're does doing it stop right now is a difference of opinion. That is not what Donald Trump did. Donald Trump did not exercise difference of opinion. What he did was to incite hate, and he incited a mob to commit domestic terrorism. There's a difference. The four of us are not doing that, are we? I'm sorry, we, we are out of time. So we're, we're going to have to move to the closing statements, but you will all get a final chance to make your point in a minute each, beginning, actually, with Freddie, your case against the motion. So my first point would be, if you want a pluralist, open, liberal society where people win on the strength of arguments, if you want us to be able to have conversations like we've had tonight... We need to be absolutely terrified about the current move towards censorship. And although James is right that you can still probably find out what Donald Trump thinks if you really want, he is the famous top of the pyramid example here. What is happening under the surface is a huge amount of things being labelled misinformation, things being removed, all of this arbitrarily decided by unelected, incredibly powerful big tech companies. So he is the symbolic head of this, and it's, the effect is much, much bigger than that. And I think if, you, if we want to be able to live in a free world, we need to oppose this motion. Thanks, Freddie. James, your closing summary. I'm just going to use my final minute here to say that we've spent the last hour debating the potential deplatforming of Donald Trump. And it's absurd because there are several billion people in the world who are effectively deplatformed. Uh, by either poverty or living under repressive regimes. And to the extent that I care about censorship, I care about the Venezuelan refugee here in, here in Bogota who can't afford to get online. I care about the Uyghur Muslim in China uh, who's, li- who, who's forced to live under a repressive regime. Um, those are the censorship cases I worry about. In terms of Donald Trump, uh, he, had a, a, he had a giant platform, he had privilege, and he used it to commit a crime. And ultimately, uh, deplatforming him was the right move. When we get to the actual censorship beneath the surface, uh, as was just said, uh, I do worry about those censorship issues, and we should too. But that's not what what occurred with Donald Trump, and that's not. And the reason he should be deplatformed is exactly what he did. Um, if if other people did the same thing, uh, they 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 should be deplatformed as well. But otherwise, I mean, we should worry about censorship issues at those lower levels when they come about. Nadine, your closing statement. 
Foz, it is, it is precisely, as I've been saying throughout, those other people who are going to be adversely affected and are being adversely affected that I have in mind because the precedent that is set with respect to Donald Trump is entrenching the unchecked power of these companies to decide for any reason or for no reason to deplatform anybody. And that is what is really at stake here. Now, make no mistake about it. I abhor how Donald Trump has abused power and his, including his freedom of speech. I abhor his remarks. I think that I, I support the fact that there are criminal investigations and civil investigations, uh, I, civil lawsuits. I think, quite frankly, under the appropriately strict test that the U.S. Supreme Court has adopted for incitement in cases that involved the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, because their fiery rhetoric, which literally used violent imagery and violence did happen afterwards, the Supreme Court said, that's political speech. That's what we have in a democracy. People care very strongly about these issues. So I'm always looking at the implications for speech I strongly agree with and I think is the most vulnerable when I worry about the precedent that is set in Trump's case especially when you consider what are the benefits. I mean, our opponents on this motion are the ones who keep saying, well, it hasn't silenced Trump. It hasn't made him go away. It hasn't made his supporters go away. So we're causing a lot of harm, including to speech of, by, and for those who are most marginalized and oppressed in our society without getting any gain at all in terms of silencing extremists. So uh, I say we should look for, and we must look for, more effective measures to counter the underlying hateful and extremist attitudes and certainly to strongly investigate and punish, as fortunately is happening now in the United States, actual extremist and violent actions. Thanks, Nadine. And Shola, just very briefly in a minute, uh, your summary. I will summarize with this. Let's not conflate any concerns we may have about the power of social media companies with doing the right thing, like was which was done in deplatforming Donald Trump from social media platforms after his, his insightful behavior and rhetoric and conduct. I think at the end of the day, there's lots of precedent to show that in every area of society, whether it's in employment or in other areas, when we behave in ways that cause that kind of insightful behavior, the kind of behavior that he did, that people are immediately either fired, suspended, that there is some consequence to that. So this is not about the powers of social media companies that we can have a conversation about. This is about what Donald Trump did to be deplatformed, and it was right to do so. And I'm not afraid of my freedom of speech being infringed in any way because Donald Trump was deplatformed. No, but I am happy to have a conversation about, uh, you know, holding social media companies to account if they fail to navigate healthy conversations on social media and about regulating social media companies. I think that is definitely a conversation which I have. Thanks, Shola. And thank you all for what has been uh, a very passionate and an, an interesting debate. So thank you all for taking part. And just a quick reminder that when we began this event, before any of the speakers had spoken, we had a vote and 54% of, of the audience had voted for and 24% had voted against. 
And I can tell you now that that has changed quite dramatically. In the final vote, we've got 39% for and 53% against, with 8% undecided. Thank you all for taking part. Thank you for your questions from the audience. Thank you for sending in any comments, questions, and for voting and for listening. And thank you to all of our speakers tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you very much to IQ Squared, for Intelligence Squared, for, for hosting this event. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Good decision.